I'm sure Lowell's psychologist brain is just woo cheering right now. <laughs> Welcome to Obstacles and Opportunities with Lowell and Julie, sharing stories, empowering mindsets. Today's guest is Katrina LeMay Doan. She was the fastest woman on ice. She's a two-time Olympic champion and the first individual Canadian to ever defend an Olympic gold. She's won seven gold, two silver, and five bronze medals, broken 13 world records, and has received many awards. She's been given three honorary degrees and was inducted into Canada's Sports Hall of Fame and appointed an Officer of the Order of Canada. After retiring from speed skating in 2002, she broadcasted for five Olympics, became a sought-after public speaker, and is the president and CEO for Sport Calgary. Katrina was the lead athlete mentor for the 2018 Olympic Games in Pyeongchang and is the chef de mission for the upcoming 2022 Winter Olympics in Beijing. Most importantly, Katrina is mom to Greta and Easton. What an honor to speak with her. Hope you enjoy our conversation. Well, Katrina, man, it's nice to see you again. We got to meet you first at the Greatness and Leadership Conference. That was over a year ago now. Oh, goodness. That was like... Two years ago? Three? What? <laughs> At least three okay, years Okay, so we've ago. been friends forever then, right? Do we calculate time exactly. differently in a pandemic? Yeah. It's pandemic time. <laughs> time does not exactly. exist. It's a weird vortex. <laughs> You're an incredible athlete. You have so many accomplishments. Have you seen your Wikipedia page? It's very mm. busy. <laughs> It's got a lot. You have so many medals and records. You know, I think the length of a Wikipedia page sometimes dictates age. So oh. I just said my 50th. So there we go. Oh, wow. <laughs> Half a century. Wow. Should we start at the beginning? You are from Saskatoon. Is that that's true? That is true. I bleed green. I've been in Calgary 31 years, but I bleed green. I will always bleed green. That's uh, for sure. Well, my mom would automatically love you because she's a Saskatchewan girl too. So <laughs> oh, <good. laughs> I think you guys connect on like a different level. You Saskatchewan folks. Hey, it's true. You're very true. <laughs> so do you have siblings? Your parents still there? No, my parents actually are in Calgary. They're both not great health. So they've come through just for that reason. I have two older sisters. They kind of went a few different places, but now they're in Calgary. So oh. we're actually all in Calgary. You led the way? I, I did kind of lead the way. <laughs> and actually my sister, her partner and two kids live two acreages over. So oh, awesome. hundred, you know, as the crow flies a hundred meters. And if we actually follow the road, it's like 400 meters. So what brought you to Calgary originally? Was it your sport? It was my sport. So that was in the fall of 88 in September. So it's weird now because my daughter's 16, almost 17. And I moved to Calgary at 17. I was, oh, I'm a crazy. December baby. So I was one of those, you know, graduate young and I made the national team. So I moved to Calgary, which was the next step. Without your family, you moved to Calgary. Yeah, so that was, that was different. I mean, it's weird now as a mom yeah. to, to think of that. But at the time, like it was hard, but it was also the right step. So it, it was all good. It's just funny when you think, you know, I look at my daughter and I'm thinking, wow, in a year and a half, I would be moving and maybe she'll be moving. Maybe she'll be going somewhere to university. Who knows? But it was the right thing I had to do. I never encourage young athletes to move away unless it's sort of the right time. Like I always think, unless it's one of these sports like gymnastics, there are some which are early development, but otherwise I just, 
you know, I try to say, stay, stay in high school, you know, experience that world Mm -hmm. because you won't get that back again. And I was glad I got to do that. So was there not very much competitive speed skating in Saskatoon? There is. We've actually really old and a really successful club. We have Olympians back from the 40s. But it's just the fact that, you know, it's an outdoor oval. So in the minus 30 weather, we would be outside. And, you know, then the the training center became Calgary. So that was really the place with the best coaches and the best training facilities and, and the experts, because I mean, you guys know this, right? Like you, you, as an athlete, you're given a program and you do the work, but it's the, it's the experts who design those Mm -hmm. programs. They know what you, you need to do. You know, we're, we're not, we're not that smart. (laughs) (laughs) So what got you into speed skating in the first place? It was actually my middle sister, the one who lives close by. She just decided that um, she'd seen an advertisement. My parents are straight from Scotland. We've dual citizenship with Great Britain. Oh, cool. So yeah, our, all of our relatives are, are still in Scotland. It wasn't one of these things that we naturally went into. She tried it a year before I did and she loved it. And so I'm like, oh, follow my older sister. And we actually skated together for about eight years and we got to do a Canada Games together. Which oh, was that's really- really? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was special. Yeah. Yeah, it was back in 83. Oh, good Lord. That was a long time ago. I was, I just turned 12, uh, but it was really cool. Especially, I mean, cool for my parents that oh, two of their cool. kids were together at Canada Games. So was it hard to uh, drop the dream of being professional bagpipe players? Is that, is that a disappointment <laughs> to your family? Well, I'll tell you, like, I mean, my family doesn't, you know, they don't come into sport naturally. So we all have Scottish names. My name is actually Scottish because Mm. we have no family in North America. Everybody is still in Scotland. So my parents came to Canada in 1963. My dad was a professor uh, of engineering and then stayed, was offered a job, had kids. They said, oh, we'll give them Scottish names because we're still going back. And then for me to continue a sport, I mean, I'm the only one in my family who doesn't have a double honors degree. You just have 18,000 medals. That's all. (laughs) (laughs) It was very odd for my parents who were academics to, I mean, they always supported me, but I think still, you know, as a parent, you kind of go, is that the right choice? Really? (laughs) So did your family stay for you? They, they stayed for work. Oh, Okay. Yeah. So my dad continued to, uh, he was teaching. We actually lived in Brazil for a year. He was on sabbatical. He taught there and then he opened a consulting firm. So he traveled his whole life. We traveled a lot. Um, He was very specialized in his field um, worldwide. He's the type of man that, you know, calculus, grade 12 calculus, I would ask for help. And afterwards, I was more confused. So I just nod and go, well, thanks, Dad. <laughs> just leads no to more idea. questions. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea what you just said to me. Yeah. So you spoke about Dad. What's the greatest lesson you've learned in life from Dad? You know what? It's, it's probably going to be my mom. My, my yeah. dad, well, my parents are very different. They're both brilliant. My mom uh, was a pharmacist by schooling and then actually became a French teacher just to help us and then ended up teaching French. Hard work is what I learned from both of them. You know, you put your head down and you just go for it. What I learned from my mom, though, is that, and I think this is from her because she was successful in school. And then, you know, she put that on hold. She had her kids and ended up becoming this French teacher with a Scottish, very strong Scottish accent. And she had always said, you know, never judge people and Mm. never, 
ever think that what people accomplish makes them a different person. And, Mm. you know, she'd always said back in Saskatoon, we had this very old original house. We never had a garage. And I mean, my mom left there six years ago. So in her late seventies in Saskatoon to not have a garage, we never had a freezer. We never had a dishwasher. And she always just said, I want people to be welcome in my home. I will always have a clean bathroom. I will always have food and I will always have a drink ready. Mm. Um, She goes, my curtains are from 1963, but oh, well, she said, never judge any of the stuff or Mm. what people do. So that has really stuck with me. And that's, uh, that's, that's how I try to raise my kids. Oh, that's awesome. She sounds a lot like my mom. I like her already. (laughs) (laughs) So your first Olympics, was that 1994? 1992. We had that two-year split, that weird year where they actually staggered summer and winter. So we kind of got lucky. So Albertville was actually my first games. Okay. Then how did that one go? Good. Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, I was 14th. It was just kind of one of those like, oh, wow, Olympics. (laughs) (laughs) This is big. This is exciting. We were in France and the village was up in, I think it was Latin, it's called. And it was like a French ski resort. It was beautiful. <laughs> it was just cool and great. And I skated okay. And, you know, it was just one of those check the box. Everything is awesome. Yeah. That's how that was. That was like, your, what's it called, Lowell and Cycling, when you do a run first to test it out? A, a recon? Oh, yes. A recon. That was yeah. your recon mission. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was your recon. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good analogy. I like it. <laughs> yeah, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So then your next Olympics was, was that 94 in Lillehammer? Yes. You were 23 years old. If Wikipedia yeah. is correct, they, <laughs> they did yeah, their research. Just turned yeah. Yeah. And there was a lot of hope that you would end up on the podium. Yeah, that was a tough game. Ranked fifth in the world. I'd won, won World Cup medals. And, you know, it was just one of those moments in sport and long track speed skating. It was one race. So no heats, no semifinals, none mm. of that. And great start, equal uh, within 500s with the girl I was paired with, Francesca Shank. And then I fell in the first corner, so did not win a medal, ended up last, and she won a bronze, which was, that was probably the toughest mm. thing was knowing that we were, she was ranked fourth in the world, I was ranked fifth, we'd kind of gone back and forth in some World Cups, you know, what that if, happens and you become mm. a little bit in shock. So in that moment that right, you've mm-hmm. trained for years, this is the, a big moment, ranked so high in the world, you have a fall, right? That's a big obstacle. You have a low point. What happens to your mindset? You know, it probably wasn't into until another month or so. We stayed in Europe mm. because we were at that at those times we were staying in Europe for sort of the 10 weeks at a time. Kind of like what they're doing during COVID in bubbles and mm. you know, just staying. So that's what we did. We stayed. It was hell to continue to compete for the next month because post-Olympics people really weren't motivated and I was ultra yeah. ultra not motivated. And then you consider when you come back and you have your one month off, you consider, you know, do I really want to do this? Because you're 23. I will never use the word sacrifice or any of that because you you live a different life, which is a choice, but you do put things on hold. And so mm-hmm. in my thought was, is this really what I want to do? But what it does is it brings you back to sort of why you're doing something. And I knew that I would not be okay with walking away because my biggest fear always is if people question what would have been or mm-hmm. what could have been. And that is 
the saddest thing. I never want, you know, people say, what do you regret? I don't regret anything because it's, it's part of the journey. Do you wish certain things don't happen in your life? Sure. But it's, it's part of that. So I never want regret though. Everybody messes up, but don't, don't have regrets and don't, don't look back and go, ah, I wish I'd done that. Mm -hmm. Sure. You, you make wrong choices. That's for sure. We all do. But so that moment could have been a would have, could have, should have, but instead in the moment, just like, I'm going to choose to continue to go on with this dream. It sounds easy. (laughs) It's easy for people to say, but it's so much harder to live that and to really do it. Because again, as an athlete, that's, you know, and people, I think maybe one of my pet peeves is when people say, oh, you've trained four years for this. No, it's usually like 24 years, mm-hmm. yeah. but it's four years between games. So <laughs> yeah. this was now me saying, I'm going to commit for four more, you know, for a 37 second chance. I was just going to say, that's what, that's what seems hard for me from your yeah. perspective is you had that 37 seconds and now you have to wait four more years for your next 37 yeah. second chance. That's a yeah. lot of pressure. Yes. And yet... I couldn't live with myself if I didn't give myself the chance. So what was your mindset going into the next Olympics then in 1998? Well, it was a very different situation because all of a sudden we were now number one team. There's been talk on the Speed Game team of today and how they're more like our team was where they really worked well together. Mm. We were a true team and that's, that was sort of the best thing. And that's why we were one of the reasons we were so successful. So we were heading into the 98 games ranked number one in the world, which is exciting, which makes a lot of pressure. Yes. uh, (laughs) Makes you doubt, which makes you excited, which you know, it depends yeah. which five seconds you would talk to me. And I was a very good actor as a, as an athlete. And so, you know, we acted all tough and cool, but we were not at all. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that would be a lot of pressure. But what did you do in 1998? You won yourself a gold. <laughs> yeah. So when did you break the record for the 500 meter distance? When did you become the fastest woman on ice? So that was November when I first broke it. We had training races. And so we, there were times when I unofficially broke it. And then we had sanctioned meets and then we had World Cups because you do, you start your season, you know, November and then it goes through to March. I had broken the records, but again, everybody knows that it's performing at that Mm-hmm. moment. And yeah. I especially knew that because in 94, so yeah. you can be a Usain Bolt and you can be blowing everybody out of the water, but one little stumble mm-hmm. yeah. and that's it's it. Done. So you need to perform. And until you cross the finish line, nobody knows what the results will be. But you officially broke your own record eight times, right? Is that what Wikipedia tells you? <laughs> yeah. If you ever want to learn more about yourself, just check out your Wikipedia page. <laughs> Perfect. (laughs) Well, they say records are made to be broken. So you're just breaking your own. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. And it was that way for a while, which was kind of cool. Yeah, Yeah, it was fun. But 37 (laughs) seconds. I mean, like, that's how long it takes me to chew a jelly bean. Like, that is not a lot of time. (laughs) You need to chew jelly beans fast. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And then jumping to the next Olympics, 2002. Mm Mm-hmm. You break another record. You become the first Canadian to ever defend an Olympic gold. Same event, 500 meters, right? You won the gold again. Yeah. And, you know, that statistic was tough to deal with. Oh, yeah. Because it's a statistic that lasted over 100 years. So ever since Canada had sent a team to the Games, summer, winter, male, female, nobody had defended a gold. So nobody had won. And then four years later, one 
again. So, you know, that's what's interesting. And, and people talk stats in every mm-hmm. sort of business, sport, everything. And I often remind people that, yes, statistics mean something, but they don't mean everything because you have to be willing to be that person to not conform and to do things differently. And uh, it, it was tough, but that pressure, I don't miss it. It probably took me 10 years to actually understand the pressure that was on me. Mm. I, I don't think I actually let myself mm. acknowledge the pressure for probably eight to 10 years. Wow. Going for Gold, that's the book you wrote in 2002. So you said it's since then then that you've realized how much that pressure impacted you. Would you write that book differently now? Yeah. And I mean, those, you know, they're done by ghostwriters. I want to write a book that allows me to be much more vulnerable. Mm. And I think that comes with age, that comes with acknowledgement of pressure, that comes with acknowledgement of of life and, and real stuff. But for sure, it's it's pressure and it's beautiful and it's mm-hmm. horrific. And it's <laughs> like it's it's this whole 30. Honestly, well, it's not even 37 seconds was the race, but it was, you know, it was just lead up and lead up of pressure. And the 24 hours before was I, I will say the lead up of the 24 hours prior and the morning of was hell. Uh, but you're again, you're so focused that you can acknowledge it for a second and then you need to come back. Then you acknowledge it, you need to come back. It, right? It's just yeah. this, it's this internal constant battle. And then I think once it was done, and I still have the thousand meter, but once it's done, it's like, okay, check. Mm-hmm. But we still had World Cups and I knew I was still going to skate another year. And then, you know, and then you retire and it's like, what's next? So you never leave that goal oriented mm-hmm. brain. And that's where I think it was probably 10 years. And I just kind of went, holy. Can't believe you lived with that, hey? Yeah. yeah. It's like. <laughs> so if you remember back in that moment with that much pressure, was there something a coach, a teammate, a family member was, or was, what got you through? Or was it internal? Like what was, like what was going on? It was everything. It was consistency. It was like just familiarity with, and yet everything's always different, but it was just like understanding it's still the same race, right? Like you go back to that. And that's what I try to remind athletes is we make games different, but if you break it down, it's the same 500 meters, you know, it's a, it's a 400 meter oval. It's, you know, hundred meters, you turn left. It's so you, you try to get back to that. You know, everybody has, whether again, it's sport, family, business, people have those people that you can be sort of vulnerable with. And mine, probably in 2002, was more so our physio because she was, you know, we were with her three times a day. So she really had a good read on our everything. And she would do the IMS. And that was right at the beginning. This was 20 years ago. And she learned it from the original guy, sort of the needling. And she could just even tell, the. and I knew, I mean, the way my body reacted to the IMS needling, it told us the stress I was under. Mm -hmm. So it was just, it was pretty fascinating. Mm. You know, as we talk about it, I'm like, Oh, oh so, so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just have a glass of your wine there. Just call, exactly. just calm your nerves. Oh, totally. <laughs> you know, and yeah, that's why I have wine now. It's like, oh, because I couldn't back then. So I'm making oh, yeah. up for last time. I'll tell you that. Atta girl. <laughs> the body is a temple. 
So if you were thinking back, you're, you're 50 now and thinking back mm-hmm. to yourself in that Olympics with all the pressure, what would you tell that version of yourself now if you could? <laughs> Have God, a glass I of wine? I'm 50. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It gets better at 50. I would say it gets so much better. <laughs> I don't even think I could tell myself anything because I think... Like I handled it really well. I handled it like me, which is put your head down. You have a job to do. Uh, You know what to do. And then you're going to crap your pants. You're going to hate life. You're going to, right? Like literally, like when I do certain things, sometimes presentations, I often consider it kind of like a race because you get nervous and you're like, oh, why why did I agree to this? And I don't, I wasn't one to ever, I never actually enjoyed racing. I didn't love it. I never used to talk about that. I talk about it now because a lot of it, especially individual athletes, a lot of individual athletes are like that, but nobody acknowledges it because they think it's not normal. So I try to normalize those feelings, but yeah, I mean, it was just a constant battle, but it's just kind of what we did. So I don't think I could tell myself anything other than, I will say I'm pretty proud of myself. I'm pretty yeah. Im- impressed now because, I mean, now I just couldn't deal with it. But <laughs> <laughs> pretty impressed that I actually was able to handle it. Oh, Absolutely. yeah. And was the feeling afterwards, did that make it worth it to you? No, because it's you don't really acknowledge it. Yeah. Because the thing is, is that this is the problem is that you're always chasing a perfect race. Mm-hmm. So I had good enough races at Olympics, but they were never my really good races. So if you look at sort of even comparison of times, there were women I raced against, they thrived on that. So they had these amazing races at games. I had good enough races, but I was always chasing that perfect race and it doesn't exist. Mm. So you have a feeling of accomplishment, but you also have a feeling of failure because you'd never have a perfect race. Mm. I'm so glad that athletes now have 50-year-old you to tell them these things, (laughs) to tell them these truths and to normalize it for them. Because you were in Pyeongchang, you were, what was your title? Mentor mom or something like that? Lead athlete mentor. So it's what used to be sort of assistant chef de mission, but I was just in the village with them all the time. And yeah, and you know what? I have a talk with the ski cross team who are away in worlds next week. So it's, it's stuff like that, that, you know, I want to explain to them. Yeah. There are the times where you will doubt and you will, you will think you suck and that's okay because it's how, like, you know, how do you kind of climb back out of that and how do you, sort of readjust your thinking, Mm -hmm. but trying to normalize it, you know, and you you try to say that to your kids and I get so impressed with my kids. My daughter is a mini me Poor her. You know, she's already acknowledging kind of how she is, which makes me just so like, I'm like, wow, Greta, that impresses me because I couldn't, I didn't get how I was at 16. So when people have that self-awareness, it's amazing. I mean, Mm -hmm. I get to my age and I kind of go, Oh, screw you all. I don't really care what you say. <laughs> you care less when you're older, eh? <laughs> Your skin becomes a bit thick and you're yeah. like, oh, well. <laughs> what do you feel about this mentorship role? Like this is taking mm-hmm. lessons. This is life lessons and sport lessons. And yeah. you're there alongside others who are chasing dreams, but many of them are feeling a lot of stress, mm-hmm. a lot of pressure. And you're going to be the chef de mission for 2022 Beijing. Yeah. I. You know what? I love it because I'm not going to... I'm not going to minimize it. And a lot of people don't like this. I get 
that a games to people is is a little bit life or death. It, it isn't in reality, but that is how we view it. And that's okay. So I won't minimize it, but I will try to normalize it. Mm. As in, it's okay if you feel like this. And it's okay if you feel like this. And you know what? It's not going to help. And this was what we went through in Pyeongchang. Those who had great results and those who didn't, trying to help them through it. And this is what people don't really necessarily like. I think athletes go through a PTSD sort of thing. And people say, you know, I've I've had people say, well, no, they they can't because it's not life or death. But an athlete in their world in those moments, it is life or death. Yeah. So there is that side of it. I had talked to athletes about retirement and dealing with that. And and people had this understanding that, well, it's hard to retire and you go through an adjustment. And, and I said, some do. I didn't. So don't expect that that's going to happen. Mine happened probably 10 years afterwards. So it probably will hit you, but don't expect that it's going to hit you right then. Because for some, it's super a breeze. It was like that for me. But again, I was still in that goal, goal, right? Mm-hmm. I was still in that athlete mentality. I love that I've gone through the really good and the really bad. And I've gone through the pressure because I have no problem talking about it. And I have no problem people mm-hmm. saying I get it. And I have no problem people saying I don't get it. Great. We all have our own journey. I think, well, you offer amazing perspective, though, and that's really valuable for those athletes to hear that. I'm sure Lowell's psychologist brain is just woo cheering right now. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. He's like, oh, she needed a lot more help. <laughs> no, not at all. You have the champion's mindset. I mean, that's awesome. And the asset that you are um, in these roles is so huge. And even oh, yeah. that, that statement, right? It's trauma is not the event. It's what the event did to you and how it's mm-hmm. impacted you. And that's the important piece we need to see through this is that the event can impact people in all different ways, depending on their life experiences beforehand, how things are in that moment, their stress levels. And so taking an individual approach to every athlete, that's person-centered and it's so beautiful. It's Mm athlete-centered and taking that person at that moment is so important. And that's kind of part of the role that you have. For sure. And it was interesting. And that's the other thing I want to remind athletes and, and, you know, even people, because stress, again, people deal with stress differently. But I remember um, some of my teammates, you know, an hour before the race, they got super hyper and chatty Mm. and others got quiet. And I just kind of, I want to be in my own world, but you're in then this dressing room with other countries and Mm. and we sharpen our skates. And so I used to put headphones on, even though I didn't have any music on because I wasn't a huge music person just so nobody would talk to me because I'm like oh <laughs> like mm-hmm. don't be all because that's how you are when you're hyper yeah <laughs> um, so it's just how people deal with that stuff too and it was acknowledging that and you know athletes have to be selfish and that's the toughest thing it's the toughest thing when you're an athlete and you have a family and, and this might not be fair but especially for women who come back. I mean, it's just, it's just a little bit different. And because of the selfishness that you have to have as an athlete, I would think that would be extremely difficult to do both as a female. Oh, yeah. No, I don't think that's unfair of you to say. (laughs) Amazing women do it all the time, but that doesn't make it easy. Exactly. So many people don't know what Chef de Michon is. What's Mm -hmm. to explain that? What, what is that role? What's your, what's your duties coming up in 2022? 
what people didn't understand is it's it's a volunteer role. So I took a month off of work in 2018. I'll take all my holidays and more <laughs> in 2022. You know, I kind of say it's a spokesperson, it's a leader, it's a advocate. Uh, I also sometimes say you put on the armor because if there is any controversy at all, you're the one to sort of defend it. And so that the athletes sort of block it in a way so that the athletes can just focus on their preparation and, and getting ready for competition. And then when the games start, my role is to deal with all the behind the scenes stuff and have the focus on them. So with China, with the, with the Olympics and the Paralympics in Beijing, the focus is human rights. And so there's a lot of talk sort of on, on that boycott side. And yet boycotts have never worked. They just punish the athletes. So leading up to Beijing, there will be a lot of talk and a lot of controversy. And it doesn't mean athletes can't have a voice. But my role is to be that voice for the team, again, not for individuals, but for the team as a whole, so that they can focus on what they need to focus on. So that's what the chef de mission does. Canada is the only country to have chefs be Olympians and Paralympians. Um, mm. Most other countries have it sort of as an administrative role. Uh, they take somebody who's sort of employed by their International Olympic Committee or by an NSO, and that's who they put in that role. So Canada does it very differently. And I think it's it's great because it's it's that mentor side. If I was an athlete, I would love to have somebody who knew that perspective Exactly. And that leadership Yeah, I think role. that's important. Yeah, for sure. Go Canada. Woo! We're exactly. so on top of it. We're the leaders. <laughs> you guys were also the leaders in um, your quad muscles. So, <laughs> so let's talk about let's the quads. Let's talk about your quads. Well, we're cyclists? I don't know. Cyclists are pretty good. Oh, they're pretty good. But uh, your quads were celebrities by themselves, I, I think. <laughs> I remember you talking about... Your skin suits. What was the secret there? Well, and that's the fact that our skin suits were made to make us look so intimidating. First of all, you put spandex on people and then you put them on TV and then you put us on skates where we look like we're 6'4 with 200 pound legs. No, I'm 5'7 <laughs> and I didn't, I was not 200 pounds at any time in my life. <laughs> but for sure, our legs were big and it's funny because I miss having. People say, oh, your legs are still big. They're actually the smallest they've ever been. And I'm super disappointed. I'm frustrated because I, I, I was proud of them. So I mm. want to get them bigger and stronger. Yeah, it's just funny how, how sports develop you differently. But, you know, I, I'll turn around and wear a dress every day. I don't care. And then I'll, you know, I'll go to the store and sweats and anything. But I've always said it. I, I loved being feminine and muscular, and you can be both. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I love that that's being acknowledged nowadays. Exactly. Strong is beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think that you still probably had stronger quads than others, because I remember maybe I was just a little bit biased because you were my favorite, but I don't remember others having quite as impressive quads as you, even though they had the <laughs> same design of suit. So, And I'm sure you had a lot of like leg days. <laughs> was it all leg we days? Did have a lot of, we did have a lot of leg days. I, but I often laugh that, you know, we were kind of built like a pair. This is this is how we were built. And swimmers are built like this. Oh, you're opposite. You guys are like a triangle. And they're... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> 
upside upside down triangle. triangle. Yeah, I feel this as cyclists too, right? I came from triathlon and that had a bit more upper body. And then now in cycling, it's it's so much focus just on the legs. Exactly. The body responds. It's amazing with the consistent training. So you put in a lot of years from eight, was it? When did you start? When I was 10. So it was 23 years in total. 23 years of, of working those legs like that's wow and the, yeah, they, the body responds at the beginning of the pandemic do you remember when the koala challenge was going around did you ever see that it was with two people and one person would stand solid like a tree and then the other person would climb start on did i start on your front or start on your back and you climb you climb around and then over and under and then back up and around again without and, touching the ground yeah without touching the ground and the tree in our case being lowell lowell is the tree we yeah. did this <laughs> was so solid and I very much credit his cycling quads (laughs) because he just stood there so powerfully and we did it successfully on our first try not to break oh very impressive I was really sore after that I could not have attempted it another time if I tried so it was really good that I did it the first try (laughs) but not a lot of people get elite athletes as their trees so That helps. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's a good thing. <laughs> One of the main things that we want to connect with athletes about is mindset mm-hmm. and this idea of we come to life as an athlete and just as regular human beings living out life with obstacles. And it could be pandemic, it could be relationships, it could be health. And I guess one of my main questions for you is do you think we can achieve an elite level without obstacles? For sure, we can achieve it without obstacles. I think what it comes down to is obstacles teach us about ourselves. So I think part of it is how grounded within ourselves are we? Because as an athlete, you start to go, okay, I want to do this. I want to do this. I mean, if if you break it right down, why do you want to do it? You have this goal, but as long as you understand that you can separate who you are and everything else. It becomes blurry for sure. Uh, I mean, it's inevitable, but at some point, and for me, it was through obstacles, I understood that I wasn't defined by my results. I guess for me, I feel like I, I don't know if I needed that wake up call. And again, it not saying you're not raised properly if you don't have that, but it's just everything. It can be the people in your life. It can, it can be anything. And so I don't believe that everybody needs an obstacle in order to succeed. But the other part of it is, what do you consider an obstacle? Mm-hmm. You know, an obstacle for one person is not an obstacle for another. Or, you know, it's like, oh, well, where for another person, it's this massive hurdle. So to me, it's all perspective and sort of values. That's, That's what it comes down to, I think. But then you can go... We could go even deeper. What is success? Does that mean because you actually won a medal? Yeah. Or is it the fact that, you know, I'll, I'll go back to 2010. And to me, I love this moment. So I'd worked with Jen Heil leading into 2010, just as a mentor. And there was one time I was actually away with my girlfriends and she phoned me. She was in Japan for Worlds and she was kind of freaking out. And so and we talked and she ended up performing really well. And going into 2010, she was, because she was day one, she was considered to maybe be the second person to defend because she'd won in 2006. So she was day one in 2010. And then Alex Bildo was, I think, the next day. So she ended up skiing super well and winning the silver. And I talked to her about 30, 45 minutes after her performance. And she said, that was as good as I could be Mm. on that day. So in the public's eye, yes, she still won a silver. But perhaps in, in some people's eyes, she failed. 
because she didn't defend, but she had succeeded because she was as good as she could be. So I I loved it because I was like, that was such an incredible perspective. Mm. She wasn't full of crap. Like she was, that she knew she was as good as she could be. And the other girl was better. And that was it. She was like, Mm. she was better. Mm-hmm. So I think that to me is so incredible, but that attitude is inspiring. Yeah. Whose who's definition of success or whose definition of failure? And that can only be our own. Yeah. What would you consider your greatest obstacle in your athletic career? Mm, my brain. <laughs> Sometimes. I don't even think it was 94. I think that was one of the lowest points, but I really think the biggest obstacle was the pressure in 02. Mm-hmm. And so... I will have more stress than that in my life, I'm sure, but I don't believe I will ever have that much pressure. Were you the flag bearer that year? Yeah. Oh, yeah. What was the flag bearer jinx or whatever? Yeah, there was a flag jinx. It was five months after 9-11, so we wanted to prove that, you know, sport could overcome evil, kind of. Two days before my race, Jeremy Weatherspoon, who was who was the winningest man, still is, he took three steps off the line and fell. And literally it was everything. And then remember, it was the Jamie and David scandal. Oh, yeah. So there was literally everything that was going wrong for our team. So that just added. It was a shit show. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> it really sounds was. like it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. And that lesson, right? You dig deep. You push through that champion mindset and, and you got through it. Step by step. Mm-hmm. Literally, like every 30 second is a, is a, is a battle. That's okay. <laughs> And then, okay, 2010, if I recall correctly, you had a, you were one of the torchbearers, right? Yeah. So Simon Whitfield and I were actually the first torchbearers to start the relay, which was really, really cool. Mm-hmm. And then I had been asked to be one of the, the cauldron lighters. So one of the final four to light the cauldron. And that's when the whole arm, the arm didn't up. drop. Oh. <laughs> yeah. But you got, you got a redo, right? <laughs> I did. Yeah, I got to go to the closing ceremony and the producer had this brilliant idea to kind of not make fun, but make light of the situation. (laughs) And it was just like, it was brilliantly done and just, you know, fun and and humorous and playful. And he had said, he goes, I want to give you this. So it was, it was very cool. That's nice. Mm. Yeah, it's really neat. And your kids, they were around then, young, but they were. Easton would have... Just been turning, wait, what day was the opening ceremony? He would have been just turning three and then Greta would have been five, almost six. But the day I came home, it was October 30th, 2009. So I flew to Victoria. Simon and I did our thing, probably the most emotional emotional Olympic moment because I wasn't prepared because you don't know what to expect. Flew home and I remember walking in the door and they both ran up to me and said, mommy, we saw you with fire. And and not a word of a lie, I cried for 24 hours. Aww. It was just like, it was just, you know, as an athlete, you're prepared, you're prepared, you're prepared. And that was one moment where we didn't know what to expect. And Simon was like, I'm kind of nervous. I'm like, me too. What's, what are we going to, what's going to happen? And it was just the whole, everything took us by such surprise that it, it overwhelmed me mm-hmm. more than any other Olympic moment. Wow. Wow. That's a moment to cherish. Yeah, it was uh, it was interesting. It was kind of like, what the heck's going on with me? I was like, am I going through midlife crisis right now or what? (laughs) (laughs) Could be. (laughs) So what have your children taught you in life? Perspective, which children do. Mm -hmm. But I would say over the last three years, just, you know, I'm separated. They've been doing 
you know, as well as we can do. But I think what they've taught me is the the vulnerability sort of authenticity side, you know, and again, that sort of came with, with age that you're willing to be real, but there's really not anything that I won't say. I care what people think, but I, I care less. It's more that I understand about just being real and not mm-hmm. trying to be perfect. And that's sort of what they taught me because they have their strengths and certain things that I'm just like, whoa, you guys are amazing. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what's really cool is you all of a sudden just go, whoa, that's so neat that you can discover that now at your age. Like I was saying for my daughter to sort of be almost more self-aware. I don't think I was that self-aware at 16 and mm-hmm. it fascinates me. And, you know, my son is just, sort of has this maturity side to him. So, you know, they've sort of just taught me that it's okay to not be okay, yeah. you know, to go, oh, okay. And then get your stuff together and we got to be strong now. Yeah. That's okay. We don't have to wear a mask. <laughs> we can be real, yeah. but let's push through it. Ex- yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. Yeah. Don't you just sometimes look at them and you're like, ah, I made them. My son's about to turn 14 and I'm like, oh, and he's also now just taller than than me and I was like how did this happen but he's this I mean he you know he he cooks all the time and he likes to experiment with that stuff and I'm like whoa right like you just kind of go you're amazing you hit the lottery there I know I know does he or does he not want to come and live with us for any period of time (laughs) we just bought a smoker and him and I have been talking about it for eight months we just bought it and First night he made a brisket and oh Oh, my goodness, goodness. it was so amazing. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) I know. That's great. (laughs) Literally, like people ask, your kids get allowance and it's, my kids get allowance only if they're, if they're doing stuff like, you know, I'm on an acreage. So it's like, okay, we need to shovel the rink. We need to do this. I need help with this. And Easton saves so much time for me and and things because literally all meat and half of the meals he cooks. Wow. So I'm like, yeah, you can, you want to earn money, you can earn some money. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's amazing. That's a great skill too. And have they yeah. followed in your athletic footsteps? I see on your social media that you yeah. guys are always very active outside, yeah. hiking, skiing, cross country yeah. skiing, downhill, all the things, skating. So they're passionate about sport too? They're definitely athletic. You know, Greta's got the, she's super athletic, but she's a, firstborn I'm not a firstborn but she's got that little bit of sort of the doubt and so that's where I say she's really the mini me but she's got the stubbornness Ah. and she doesn't always show people but you can just see it Easton is also super athletic but because I was one of three girls like it's just been interesting to sort of see that boy mindset Mm. you know for first of all he's second kid and then there's the boy mindset and I'm just sometimes like I don't get it (laughs) Who is this creature? So, it's been interesting, but I mean, they're both super active, super athletic. Do you think they'd be interested in pursuing something as far as you did? I don't know. And I don't know if I'd want that. You know, I would love them to experience the Canada Games. That would actually kind of be my dream for them. Greta made Alberta Games for Ringette oh, awesome. uh, last year. So sort of got that two days in the village and neat sort of thing. For them to experience a Canada Games, I would be like, wow, that would be awesome. I don't know. Like it's, you know, I look at my journey and it depends. It's different per sport, but you definitely have to put a lot on hold. Mm -hmm. It's a choice and I don't regret anything. But do you wish that for your children? And yet 
I will do everything in my power for sport at all levels and even the highest level of, of Olympic Paralympic sport. I mean, I am the biggest fan. When you look at it for your own children, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you want that as a journey because I know how difficult it is. Mm-hmm. And if you look at it, there are not a ton of individual sport, second generation athletes. Mm. That's interesting. I'm thinking there's a reason. You understand that. that. (laughs) People from team aspects say, oh, it's different. Mm. And And they've even said it. You know, they said we can be in the Olympics. We can have a bad shift. Like some of the female hockey players, we can have a bad game. We can have a bad shift because we got rest of the team to pick us up. Individual athletes don't have that. So it is, it's a bit different. Do or die. Yeah. It is a do or die. And I mean, my mom did not enjoy the games, you know, mm. and, and and as a parent watching just my kids wrestling track, whatever those, especially those individual events and even ring at and hockey, it's exciting, but I don't know if I consider it fun. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, if I can't even imagine if our kids were in that level sport, like our nine-year-old loves soccer and he likes to go in net. And I had a traumatizing goalie experience when I was in grade one. And so I like need my own personal Imodium sponsorship for when I watch him in net right now. So I can't imagine if he was at yeah. like at that level. I mean, I can yeah. it'd be amazing in so many ways, but also I totally get what you're saying. The as vicarious, a parent. vicarious yes. stress. Oh, oh. I can't yeah, I, I I can't imagine. And so. you even already went through that stress. I'm just like totally imagining it. <laughs> it's too yeah, much. It's yeah. too much. <laughs> this glass yes. would be this full of wine. Yeah, <laughs> a few more bottles of wine would be drank by by exactly. mommy athletes. <laughs> they start checking yeah. the water bottles at the entrance. Like, oh, is this yeah, water? Totally. <laughs> Well, there's a lot of people out there right now that are struggling, right? A lot mm-hmm. of athletes that things are up in the air with competitions, mm-hmm. this season's races, a bunch of them are already being canceled for some people and qualifiers. And, and just generally, there's a lot of stress right yeah. now, a lot of unknowns. What would mm-hmm. the champion mindset, Katrina Lemaidon, what would she say to people who are struggling mm-hmm. right now? The unknown is the tough part. So again, whether it's sport, business, life right we wake up and it's like oh what's new today or what's changed or what are we able to do or not do I think what's important is you need to have that end goal and have it even if it's a little bit of a question mark have it but then break it down into steps so what can you accomplish tomorrow or at the end of the week or at the end of the month because you need to have those goals and not a goal of well I want to be you know I want to be at this competition let's break it down to something that you know is attainable, is a for sure that you can check the box. And so I think that's sometimes our, our dangers, right? We, we just look at that end goal and we don't know. And so that's the tough thing. You need to make goals and you need to celebrate them. Mm. And so again, whether those are your own things and it can be the silliest little thing, have it as an attainable goal and then celebrate it. Whatever that means for you, don't share anything if you don't want to. So I think that's where we can get into trouble is when the goals make it for you. And, you know, sometimes we get too caught up in what other people think, Mm -hmm. but yeah, it's tough. And I kind of go back to that 9-11 situation. We didn't know if the games were going to happen. It's a little bit different, but it it was that, do we even think? And and I'm going to be completely honest. There was more than one day when it was unsure where I kind of hoped the games wouldn't happen. Mm. So the reality was, is because then I was probably ranked first in the world, but I wouldn't have to deal with the Olympic race. 
wouldn't have to prove it. <laughs> if I really thought about it, I know I wanted to race because I yeah. wanted to prove, but that is the truth. Mm. And some people, and especially the public, would think that that's crazy because they think that that's not the way we think, but that's sort of that fear of failure side. And yet there's a fear of success mm-hmm. because holy crap, what if I do? What if I do do well? <laughs> so we don't talk about that enough, but yeah, I think the unknown is very difficult for everyone. So break it down into smaller little bits and uh, smaller timelines. All That's right. all we can do right now. Great advice. So our kids knew that we would be talking to you and mm-hmm. our nine-year-old would like to know if you can do tricks on the ice. I can't. I can't <laughs> do anything. I am terrible. Just super fast. That's quite a trick. <laughs> yeah, but I even go on hockey skates now and I play ringette and hockey pre-COVID and post-COVID. And I really suck at turning to the right. (laughs) (laughs) I really suck. And you know what I cannot do? And for the life of me, and I mean, my kids skate circles around me and they're both super fast on hockey skates. And now Greta actually full out can beat me and it really bothers me. (laughs) Um, And Easton is very close. I cannot do a backwards crossover because we didn't do them. And, Mm -hmm. And a lot of people on speed skates can do them. I can't even go on hockey skates and do it. I, I can't physically get my brain to do it. So I'm I'm terrible. Over two decades of you specializing your muscles to go fast straight and left, right? That's that's what you did. I yeah. thought of our, when you said that, I thought of our golden retriever who passed away in 2019, but one of his special tricks was a little to the left, but he couldn't go to the right, just to the left. <laughs> that's me. <laughs> <laughs> and do your kids think that you're cool? No, I'm getting into the really uncool because there's no sort of filters. They know everything. So, right. (laughs) So there's nothing you need to hide them from. So no, actually, probably my daughter is getting maybe a little bit embarrassed by me. (laughs) (gasps) That's a good job of a parent, though. I think that's a job. Yeah. Yeah. God embarrass your kids. Exactly. Well, no, see, then I kind of feel bad. But then I'm like, I don't know if that's really embarrassing because that's just actually me. So. Maybe I should be embarrassed. I'm embarrassing to my child. Is there an equivalent to the, like, there's dad jokes. Is there an equivalent to that for moms? Smooching them on the lips in front of their... Hugging uh, and kissing them? I don't know. What... They still let me, they, st- in they front still of their lean friends. in and let me like kiss them on the head or the cheek. No, they still do that. Even go to school. Oh, good. That yeah, gives me hope. 16 Thank to you. 14. That's pretty good. Okay. I'm going to remind my children of that. Mm-hmm. Well, pretty cool moment. Yeah. To have your kids to be able to go faster than you now. I'm not humbling for you, but I mean, that's pretty cool for them to like, <laughs> I can skate faster than the person who used to be fastest woman on skates. I mean, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> they do everything better than me, which <laughs> kind of bothers me now. <laughs> well, you know what? You're still almost the fastest there. I looked up because I was hoping that you still had the record for the, for being the fastest well, woman on ice. But in like two decades, it's only like one second faster, less than a second. I still have the Canadian record. Well, then that's all that matters. Okay. Still the it's fastest. 20 woman. years. It's wow. 20 years. That's crazy. Which is cool. And yet sad because the girls are almost there, but they sh- you know, mm. you want them to be past that. Are you involved so. with the current speed skating team? A little bit, like sort of in my role as chef, but also a little bit because it's Calgary and I see them or, yeah. So do you have anything to promote? We're going to have, we're going to have some webinars, which I'm going to send to you guys. So we had one in the fall and it was on mental health. Mm -hmm. And so that's sort of 
it's kind of my job especially exactly (laughs) so you know what uh we had dr ryan todd so he's with headversity so that is a an online sort of you know deals with some sports and deals with some organizations so it's like it's an app so we were talking uh we had him on and uh we had two of the former uh humboldt broncos players wow and so this was all on mental health and how to deal with adversity and how that that resilience side. And then we had Sheldon Kennedy on as well. We're trying to get one organized for March. So what we're going to have in that one is diversity and inclusion in sport. Awesome. So what's the website for that, where those are available or will be available? It will be, it'll be on our sportcalgary.ca. Okay. Sportcalgary.ca. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to know. So What's your, I, I, I want to ask a question. If oh, that's okay. Okay. oh, of course. I want to know, well, I want to know the mindset of sort of, of somebody who is sort of looking forward, but has a bit of a question mark about, mm-hmm. you know, what's going to happen in the summer, um, you know, sort of as you're looking at this pursuit. So how do you deal? Yeah, well, role reversal here. I always I joke that it's it's easier to be on the therapist side than the uh, than the client couch. It's easier to give the advice than to uh, than have to live it out. And this is this is really that piece of like turning the obstacle and opportunities for us is. Um, through our experience, through Julie and I, we have to do this on a daily basis with somebody with a visual impairment. I, I can't do a lot of things. So I've been prepping for this. And I guess one of the ways, a few things you said earlier really resonate with me, it's setting that goal, right? That I keep that goal in mind and I have multiple goals, right? The qualifier race in Belgium, I have Tokyo in August. So we have these dates, but then I always know that that's the outcome goal. And to get to that outcome goal, I have the process goals and the process goals is do my training. So what do I do today? I got my two hour training and right before this call, right? I follow the coaches. I go to Calgary CSI and, and I do the testing and I control the controllables through a time of uncertainty and I have to go back to the basics sometimes. And then again, the other thing I think is just allowing myself to be in the present moment. There are some days that's really disappointing and you see the news Mm -hmm. and the speculation and there's days that it feels like it's not going to happen. And last year we already went through a year of pause. And then there are other moments where I'm just so stoked and so excited to do it. And I just allow myself to feel the feels, right? There's mm-hmm. permission to, to ride that wave, yeah. but don't give up on the dream. Yeah, that's awesome. And I, you know what? I, I love hearing that because it sort of reconfirms what I'm trying to tell the athletes, but also it's, I think it's so relevant, whether it's sport, business, family. I mean, it's day to day. It's exciting. It's exciting watching your journey. So that's fun. Yeah, I, I can't wait. <laughs> Us either. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's it, good. <laughs> it's the vulnerability of having big dreams, right? You put yourself out there and, and you say you're going to do something big and that mm-hmm. big, hairy, audacious goal, right? It's 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 out there and it's scary. <laughs> but the right supports, having Julie by my side and the teamwork, having amazing team, amazing mm-hmm. sports, like what you're saying, trying to build this community of sport across Canada. We're really lucky. Some countries yeah. don't have the support system that we do here. And, and I feel incredibly blessed to be a part of Sport Canada, to be a part of mm-hmm. Canadian Cycling. Um, like, yeah, I can't even say mm-hmm. their name right now, my NSO. <laughs> I'm like, Cycling Canada. Just so excited to have all these people, but then to learn from other athletes like you. So thank you so much for, mm-hmm. for being a mentor, for sharing, for developing, and for advocating for sport across Canada. Oh, thanks. Yeah, thanks, you guys. Thanks for doing this. It was lots of fun. Post-COVID, we'll have to get together. Yes, for sure. For a very large bottle of wine. Well, you're training, you're looking after kids. So I'll drink the bottle of wine. You drink the wine. Yep. I'll eat. I need some protein. So I'll have a, I'll have some brisket. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's so true. Yes. Get, yeah. get Easton on the grill. Bye, Bye Katrina. Guys. Bye. Katrina LeMay Doan. Woo. 
What an athlete, eh, lol? What an athlete, indeed. Going into this chat with Katrina, I kind of thought that her main obstacle would have been the 1994 Olympics when she fell. Yeah, falling in a major games, expected to be on the podium, being right there for a top place and then falling in that first corner. That that would be devastating. It's interesting, though, that she said the main obstacle that she did face was the pressure of the success. Yeah. So carrying the flag, having that pressure to have all the weight of the country and to come in and defend this medal, that was a lot of pressure. And she stepped up to it, had that champion's mindset. But really, she could have crumbled, and many people do crumble under that kind of pressure. Yeah, she really learned a lot about herself through that pressure, hey? I, I totally see where she's coming from, though. I think this is why, Lowell, I often cheer for those who are on top. So you, you, know? you wouldn't cheer for me then? I know. No, definitely you would be the exception. Let's cheer for the Dutch and the uh, Great Britain road teams because we don't want this Canadian underdog team to win. Not in that case. More, uh, (laughs) you're the exception, obviously. But I feel like like people who are so successful or or who have so much pressure on them, they have further to fall. And I feel like it would be more devastating for them if they didn't win. So I don't know. I just really feel for them. So... I got that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's awesome to have an opportunity to talk to Kirtina. She's had amazing opportunities in life to represent Canada, to be the flag bearer, to do all of these things and to hear her wisdom. It's really helpful. I'm glad that she's out there to help support new, new athletes as they come up through the ranks. But a great point, that amazing pressure that is placed upon the successful. And you have a long way to fall. Yeah, exactly. Fall from grace. And people said, you need to win. You got to win. And if you don't, yeah, you can be forgotten and it can be quite devastating. So I'm glad that she was able to rise to the top. Yeah. And she felt such pressure because it was a stat that had been that way for a hundred years. So if she became the first individual Canadian to defend an Olympic gold, she would have broken something that was the same for a hundred years. Mm-hmm. That's such a big deal. Sometimes those statistics get stuck in your head and they become self-fulfilling prophecies as well. A limiting belief. But what an amazing woman, and I think she's the perfect selection to be chef de mission. I think that's how you say it. Excuse our French. It's our. Should we get the kids to pronounce that for us? I I, I can't speak English very well, um, so <laughs> English is my first and second language. Good thing our kids are learning. Hey, kids. Can you come here a sec? The kids are here. Okay. Katrina Lamedon is going to be the chef de mission. Did I say that right? How do you say it? Say it right in the mic here, please. Chef de mission. A little closer, please. Chef de mission. Okay, wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, French boys. Carry on, as you were. (laughs) Chef de mission. I don't think I butchered that one too badly. But yes, Katrina's vulnerability and openness is so invaluable for these young athletes. So if you want to find her on social media, find her at Katrina LD. That is C-A-T-R-I-O-N-A-L-D. Leading to Tokyo 2021, this podcast will be focusing on the stories of elite athletes. If you or someone you know has overcome obstacles on your quest for world-class competition and you'd like to be on our show, please find us at obstaclesandopportunities.com and reach out. Our podcast social media handles are at obsopspod, that is O-B-S-O-P-S-P-O-D. And our personal handles are at Julie Lowell Can, J-U-L-I-E-L-O-W-E-L-L-C-A-N. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Toby says bye too. Toby's our St. Bernard.